Hi, guys. <laughs> I invite you to turn in your Bible or use your worship guide to turn to the, to pa the passage for today. It's the same passage we've had the last couple weeks, and we will continue to have this passage for a few more. Uh, we're doing this series, Don't Fall. Okay. We're doing this series called Purpose and Mission, and the whole idea is we're looking at what the Bible has to say about the purpose of the Christian life, and we have done that in Jesus' words in Matthew 22, that our purpose as human beings uh, that are being made new by God, our purpose is to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And also to love our neighbors as ourself. That's the purpose of our life. We've talked about that quite a bit. Um, also talked about what is the mission of the Christian church. And this, I think, is the third week on the mission of the Christian church. And we find that articulated in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And we... Um, Today, we'll continue with that. So, tell you what, let's read the passage. Man, I really should have turned there before I walked up here. Uh, we'll read, and then in your worship guide, part of the passage is printed in bold, and we're going to read that together. So, if you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father in heaven, today as we um, think about what, you, what Jesus meant when he said um, to make disciples of all nations, to go and make disciples of all nations, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate your word to us. Holy Spirit, illuminate the words of Jesus, the Son, so that we can glorify the Father as we revel in them. I pray that you would convict us of our sin, like we prayed before, even the sinful dispositions of our hearts that might cause us to hear you the wrong way. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a church that is shaped by this great commission, this great mission. And I pray that right now, in this time, you will do that shaping. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You guys can be seated. So, today... We focused on Jesus' claim that all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him. We spent some time on that. We about how Jesus 
has divine authority and human authority, and this Great Commission really rests upon that. We've talked about what it is Jesus meant uh, when he talks about making disciples. What is a disciple? Well, it's a follower of Jesus, uh, but it's also a representative of Jesus. And so, naturally, disciples make new disciples. Disciples who follow him and who represent him, who are students of him, but also student representatives of him, uh, naturally make disciples of others. We've talked about that. Today I want to talk about this peace, go and make disciples, and then of all nations. What's with the go part, and what's with the all nations part? And I, have to, I want to confess to you guys here on the front end uh, that I'm a little nervous about preaching this sermon, um, this all-nations-themed, going-themed part of the Great Commission. Uh, I myself in my own life have struggled with the meaning of these words in the Great Commission, the go piece and the make disciples piece. And I'm willing to bet that I'm not the only person here who struggles with it. Um, some of you know my story well. I came, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in a pastor's home. And, and when I was real little, my parents were missionaries in the Dominican Republic. And when I was a year old, their life as overseas missionaries came to an abrupt end with a car accident that our whole family was in. And everybody was hurt very badly, especially my mom. And we came back to the United States and spent about a year in recovery from that accident. And my earliest memories are of my mom in a wheelchair um, and of my big brother Joey with braces on his legs and everybody going to physical therapy and everybody in recovery. I myself had a head injury, which is probably why I struggle with my eyesight the way that I do. Uh, that shaped our family. So naturally growing up, oh, and then after that, my parents never returned to the overseas mission field. Instead, my dad began pastoring churches. And my dad loves to preach about going to all nations. Uh, some of you have heard my dad preach, and he talks about it all the time. And when he talks about taking the gospel to all nations, something in people comes alive. Because this was his life path. The God and his mysterious providence, even with a car wreck, changed. And our family, part of our family story was, is rooted, even the, the pain that we've carried in this call to go to all nations. So the, the stories I heard growing up, the he, we all tell hero stories in our family. Some of us tell hero stories about great football players. Some of us tell hero stories about uh, uh, figures in history. The hero stories that I heard growing up were missionary hero stories. And so much of my own understanding of who I am and how I got here is shaped by Jesus' words to go and make disciples of all nations. If you, every week we send out our weekly email, it has a church announcements. Part of that I write 
uh, about a page and a half length uh, letter to you guys or whoever would read with a, with a devotional, something to think about, something to kind of get ready for the sermon. This week I told the story of when I was 15 and I heard uh, Dr. John Piper preach what would become a famous sermon uh, called The Glory of the Cross, where he told the story of missionaries who died in their 80s, two single ladies who died in their 80s in Cameroon, and how heroic they were. But in that sermon, he also talked about what it would mean to waste your life. Speaking to, when I heard him preach that, I was at a, an outdoor like worship type festival. He, he stood on a stage in Shelby Farms Park in Memphis, Tennessee, and preached to 40,000 young adults uh, about how if, they, if you want your life to not count, if you don't want to make a difference, if you don't want to be somebody, and you want everything that you're working for to be wasted, then follow the American dream of just trying to get a good job, to make good money, to have a good house, to retire well, and to die, and in his story, collecting seashells. And he told this story about the couple that presented the Lord with their seashells when they got to heaven, and then the people who stood before him after spending their life on the mission field. And I remember hearing that message and thinking, oh man, I want to be those missionary types. Something in me came alive, something related to my identity, the stories and the family that I came from. But when I was in high school, I went on a few overseas mission trips. And I found something out about myself. I don't particularly like to travel. In fact, I get really bad traveling anxiety. When I got to high school, I started learning that I struggled with migraine headaches, and I don't like going to unfamiliar places, uh, because what if I get a migraine there? <laughs> uh, as I got older, I found out that I don't really like talking to strangers. Uh, I can be extroverted, but I'm not a true extrovert. As I got older, I found out that sharing my faith just like out of the blue Starting a conversation with a stranger about Jesus causes me great anxiety. But I found myself coming alive whenever I got to play the guitar and do music. And I found myself coming alive whenever I got to talk to people about the Bible once the conversation had already started. And I began to think, maybe, am I, am I not called? to be a missionary? Am I not? Do I, is it that I don't want to be a missionary? To take the gospel to a foreign land, to all nations, in my world was the highest calling of any Christian. That's what people who really loved God did. And I was beginning to find out that that's not what I want to do. And does that mean that I don't really love God? Around the same time, my brother Joey went on a few mission trips in high school and had the exact opposite experience. He came alive to world missions. He went on every mission trip he could go on. He spent his free time praying through world maps and 
researching different, the most unreached people groups and praying for them by name. And he found joy in the pursuit of cross-cultural missions. And I watched him as he learned Arabic in college and he went to graduate school and got a couple degrees about doing things in other places. <laughs> and I watched him and I thought, Is he a, he's a real Christian. What am I doing? And I began to feel what I've come to call mission shame. And I wonder if anybody here has ever felt that. If you've been around church, if you've been around a church that preaches the Bible, it's no secret that God's mission for the church is to make disciples of all nations. And some of us have found great joy and calling and affirmation of our identity by going on mission trips or even making that part of your life calling. But others of us really struggle. We don't want to tell anybody. I've been nervous to preach this sermon because for me, the greatest sermons I have ever heard that would characterize the kind of preacher that not only do I want to be, but I think that I, I, think that I should be are sermons where somebody stands up and preaches the gospel for all nations with all their heart and every, preaches so eloquently that everyone in here wants to sign up to go somewhere. And that's not quite the sermon I have for you today. Don't get me wrong, I believe the gospel is for all nations. But I know that the way I thought the Great Commission applied to my life, the way that felt so heavy that I carried it like a burden, is not what I think Jesus meant. You know, the modern missionary movement for many others is controversial. It doesn't seem to make sense with the gospel. I think we found this out in 2018 when John Allen Chu, a young adult from Vancouver, Washington, was killed when he rode out to North Sentinel Island in the Sea of Bengal to make contact with the isolationist Sentinelese people who had lived there and who had never been disturbed. Do you guys remember this? And he was killed. And media exploded. Social media exploded. To some, Chu was a, was a martyr. He was a hero. He was the next Jim Elliott, William Carey, Adoniram Judson, taking the gospel to the unreached people. But to others, including many Christians, he was an idiot. At best an imperialist, or even a terrorist at worst. And many of us thought, what was he doing? And I know that he lived something that at one time in my life I would have thought was a hero's story. But when so many of my friends, and even maybe sometimes in my own heart, I began to hear and think, maybe he shouldn't have done that that way. I know I began to struggle. So I wonder if any of you here are like me. And when Jesus says the go and the all nations part of the Great Commission, struggle in a way. Either you feel shame or 
trepidation because you don't think that's you. And what's wrong with you if you can't follow his commission? Or maybe you get mad because you think the church has misused this and become cultural imperialists. Or maybe you think, Charlie, what are you talking about? This is the greatest thing ever. And I've always loved this. And what kind of Christians would be bothered by this? So whichever one of those that you might be, the question today that we'll spend the rest of our time talking about is what did Jesus mean by go to all nations? And what are we supposed to do with it? Well, let's answer the first question first. What did Jesus mean when he said go and make disciples of all nations? The answer is really easy, and it's very clear in the Bible. He literally meant go to all nations. <laughs> it wasn't a metaphor. It wasn't an inspirational speech. He was speaking very, very clearly. Go. In the Greek, that's an imperative. He's speaking to the 11. He's looking at human beings who are going to carry out his mission, and he says, go. In the Gospel of Mark, it says, go to all of creation. In the book of Acts, he says to, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Sumeria, and Samaria and even the ends of the earth. The whole book of Acts is about the church and the people going. There's no confusion. He means go. And then all nations. The word nations in the Greek is ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnic for ethnic groups. And when the Bible speaks about nations, it doesn't necessarily mean political entities. It means cultural linguistic groups. And we know that the gospel is for all cultural linguistic groups because at the end of the story in Revelation, we see around the throne every tribe, tongue, and nation. So when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, what he meant was literally go and make disciples of all nations, all cultures, all people groups, all linguistic enclaves. Something about what John Allen Chu was right in that here was a cultural group, a people group, a linguistic group, who had never heard about Jesus. And he was right that Jesus said go. But So that's the first question. What did Jesus mean? The second question is what are we supposed to do with this? And the answer to that is easy. Well, we're supposed to go and make disciples, students, followers, representatives of Jesus to all nations. So there it is. Does that settle it for you? It sort of does, but what do we do with our, with our pride in the contemporary modern missionary movement, or our trepidation about the contemporary modern missionary movement, or our shame about the contemporary modern missionary movement, because I'm willing to bet in our church, we have all three of those. So here's what I want to show you. How are we supposed to go forward with this great commission to go to all nations? Well, I think that there are two things. I believe that there are two things God wants us to know about this great commission and how it has to do with us. So two truths about the biblical go, all nations, make disciples, great commission. 
that we need to understand if we're going to file this in the right place in our life. If we're going to be able to receive this without pride, trepidation, or shame. Here's the first thing. The Great Commission is more about God than it is about us. The Great Commission, it's more about God than it is about us. We need to understand this. Much of the late modern missionary movement that we would be familiar with, if you've ever been on a mission trip, if you've ever heard one of those brilliant mission sermons, if you went to one day 2000 at Shelby Farms, Memphis, Tennessee, if you've read the hero stories about Adoniram Judson and Jim Elliott, what you need to know in order to put that in its right place in your life and in our church is that the Great Commission, our church's mission, is more about God than it is about us. And the modern missionary movement very often makes it about us. Thinking about Piper's words, you don't waste your life. Make it count. Make your life useful for God. Now, he was preaching something true to people who needed to hear it. But still, he's talking about you or me. And that's not the complete picture when we talk about missions. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what we can do for God. It's not about us making our life an adventure. It's not about us being useful. Um, it's not about us finding the best life or increasing our joy. It's not about any of those things. It's about God. Consider this. God himself, in his very being, in his essential nature. When you dig away everything and all you're left with is God, what we have is a God who is, by nature, a sending God. Did you know that? God himself is a sending God. God lived in, and still does, and will forever, for all eternity, forwards and backwards, lives in perfect harmony, Father, Son, and Spirit. And between the Father, Son, and Spirit is perfect love, perfect joy, perfect beauty, perfect glory. But God, even though he doesn't need anything, even though he's not compelled by anything except for his own will, God decides not to stay that way. And from eternity past, made a decree, and then before the world was made, began to act it out, and is now and will forever be a sending God. Listen to this from 1 John 4, 7, starting in verse 7. 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. This is what John the Apostle says about God. Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God, and whoever... Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now when John says God is love, part of what John has in mind is that perfect love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. That's who God is. 
And then he goes on to say this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin. He goes on to say, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And this is how we know we abide in him, because he's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. In 1 John, John the Apostle writes about how God in his very essential nature is love. Community of Father, Son, and Spirit. But God, even though he was content to be there and he wasn't compelled, he decided to send the Son into the world and then send the Spirit into the world so that sinners like you and me can get caught up in the love of God. Here's God, Father, Son, and Spirit, in perfect love and glory. He sends the Son down to us to get us and to grab us and to pay the price for us. He sends the Spirit to fill us, to bring us up to where he is. God went on mission. He is the God on mission. He is the sending God. So when Jesus the one who comes from the Father, the one who gives us the Spirit, when he says, guys, you go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He's talking to us about what we should do, but he's talking about God. Because what he's asking us to do in this great commission is something that God has been doing for all eternity. Do you see that? So we need to know that the Great Commission is not really about us. It's an application for us of what's going on about God. Do you see that? Now that changes the way we should hear it. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Do you know that you, when you go on that journey, when we go on that journey, we are not pioneering that path? Because God in ultimate reality is ascending God and even a sent God. And when we live on mission, we are following after him. A disciple is someone who follows, right? Well, even in the most pioneer missional contexts, we are following him. Like God said to the people of Israel coming to the promised land, I will go before you. And there is nowhere that I might be sent or that you might be sent. There is no such thing as pioneer missions except for the mission of God. That's beautiful. For those of you who might feel shame, like I struggle with, with the compelling call to go, you can Feel the release and ease of the fact that you are not going anywhere on your own. And God's inviting you to go. He's not telling you to go while you sit at home. He's inviting you to join him. 
So we need to know the Great Commission is not it's really as much about us as it is about God. Second thing we need to know um, is that the Great Commission is more about us than it is about me. So Great Commission is more about God than it is about us, and it's more about us than it is about me. Here's what I mean by this. Jesus gave this great commission to a particular group of people. Do you remember who they were? Matthew 28. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. The 11 disciples. We kind of hit on this the other week. Did Jesus have more than 11 disciples? Yes. We made two of them and just at the beginning of this chapter, two the, the ladies who first saw him when he resurrected. Jesus had lots of disciples. But the 11, these were part of the disciple crew, but they had a special job. Jesus had picked them out back when they were 12. Picked them out to be like the new leaders of the 12 tribes of the new Israel. And he gave them, gave them a special commissioning, like an ordination. They, they were like the elders of Jesus' new church. So when the eleven stood there on the mountain, Jesus was speaking to them as if they were the twelve tribes of the new Israel or the elders of the new church. It's kind of a both and. So when Jesus says to the eleven, go therefore make disciples of all nations, who is he talking to? Well, he is talking to the people of God collectively. He is talking to the church. Jesus didn't give the Great Commission to Charlie. Jesus gave the Great Commission to his church. And yeah, I, I'm responsible to obey it because I'm a member of his church, but I don't carry it on my shoulders. You don't carry it on your shoulders. We carry it together. We don't carry it together on our own. We carry it together filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me show you what I mean from the Bible. We read earlier, Sebastian, you did an awesome job reading this, from Exodus 19, when God called the people of Israel he, out of Egypt, he redeemed them from slavery, and he brought them to a mountain where God was on top of the mountain and he speaks to the people and he says, you people will be a kingdom of priests and a royal nation. And we go on and God describes how one day the world will come to the people of Israel where they are to see what, where God is and to learn the law and to be blessed by God. God's plan for Israel was that they would be in a place representing God as a kingdom of priests and a royal nation. Priests represent people to God and kings represent God to people. And they do both. They're mediators of God's grace in the world. So God takes them out of slavery. He goes up on a mountain. They go to the mountain where he shows them, and he says, you're a kingdom of priests and a royal nation. Now represent me to the world by living here. Parallel story. Jesus redeems people from sin by dying on a cross and raising from the dead, and then he goes to the top of a mountain, his 11 representing the 12 tribes, go to the mountain that he had showed them, and then he says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. A little bit later, one of those guys, Peter, writes, again, I should have turned there before, 
writes this. You, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. So do you see this? This commission to represent God to people so that people would know God, it didn't start with the church. It started with the people of Israel. And when Jesus gave it to the church, he was giving them the same commission that he gave to Israel, but only two differences. Difference number one, they weren't supposed to stay and make disciples. They were supposed to go and make disciples. Do you see that? Israel was called to the Holy Land by God to represent him, and that's where they were, and the world went there. Now Jesus is saying, we're not going to stay here to represent God anymore. We're going to go. So that's something. Here's the second thing. They weren't going to go on their own power. They were going with the Holy Spirit in them and with them, before them and behind them. That's why Jesus said in John 20, 21, he, he breathed on his disciples and gave them the Holy Spirit. And then he says, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. That's why Jesus in Acts 1, 8 said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So God gives his great commission, not to me, not to you, but to us, and then fills us with his Holy Spirit so that we can go into all the world and do something, not a new thing, but an old thing. And for those of us that struggle with shame, that God's plan to save the world is on your shoulders and whether or not you get on an airplane, relax. It's not a new mission. Also relax, you're not the one doing the work. The Holy Spirit is through you. And for those of us that feel proud because we're the good Christians who went, know that what you do, missionary types, is so beautiful and wonderful. And we're with you. But you're not the one saving the world. Jesus has saved the world. And he's working that salvation into it with his Holy Spirit in his people as we open our mouths and talk about him. And for those of you that feel trepidation about the call to the life of missions, take a deep breath. You are part of a community doing this together. So how should we think about the Great Commission for All Nations? Well, we need to know that it's more about God than it's about us. We need to we need to know that it's more about us than it is about you or me individually. Now, let's wrap this up. Part of what this means for us and the way we operate as a church is we need to know that as a church that's sent by God into the world and by a church that's called to send others out into the world, that we don't stand alone. That the God who from all eternity has chosen a people to ransom out of this mess, out of their mess, to renew the whole world, God is with you. God is with us. 
We need to know as a church we're sent and we sinned because of God. So, practically, for us, Hope Presbyterian, um, part of why we're going to find a new location, and the big reason is we love to meet on Sunday mornings. Um, but another part of it is because we might have an opportunity to go and be rooted in a place or neighborhood that needs to see the people of God on mission. And we might actually have the privilege of doing church around people that are different than us. Or doing church in a place that's a little more visible from a main road. Or doing church in a place that's a little bit more accessible to the whole city. And we're not doing that because we're looking for something more convenient or that fits our personality better. We're doing that because we're a church on mission. We're sent. We've been sent to Portland. And we want to be accessible to all of Portland. And as we work as a church with people in our church, the missionaries that we support, or people who are gearing up to become missionaries, we need to know that they're not going out from us. Uh, they're going together with us. So they don't leave our church when they go on mission. We are all together with them. We support them. We pray for them. We call them on the phone. We care for them. Because they're not out there all by themselves doing something. They are out there as part of our family, empowered by the same Holy Spirit who is empowering us. What this also means is if you, like me, are not particularly gifted in cross-cultural international interaction, if you, like me, aren't gifted in traveling, and if you, like me, aren't the best, most eloquent, natural, uh, cold call, start the conversation evangelist, it doesn't mean you're not called to missions. Did you know that whether or, whether or not you are an overseas missionary with a backpack and a Nalgene bottle and a map in a place unknown, or whether you are an accountant or a plumber or an auto mechanic or a retired person, or uh, trying to think of jobs that aren't your specific jobs and looking at your faces just to be fair. Whatever it is you do, you are a missionary. You have been sent by God into the place you live and work, even in your own home. And you're not a missionary alone. You have our sending God and his sent people right there with you. Now, we, I can talk for like, 48 more minutes about this, but it's time to stop. So consider this great commission. Maybe it's bigger than you thought. I know it's bigger than I thought. And it's so much more beautiful because it comes from a God who's so much more beautiful than I even often think. Let's pray.